Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Wonderful finish! Fabulous free kick. He's done it again! Anthony Martial grinning from ear to ear on the Manchester United bench. A wonderful sight as he scores his first hat-trick for the club. Three goals against Sheffield United, a very comfortable win, a very dominant win for United. The race for fourth, well, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants third, actually, is very much on. The FA Cup quarterfinal comes at the weekend. We're talking about all of that. Now, remember, if you enjoy the show, you can help us out by leaving a review on iTunes. Last week, someone took offence at our support of racial equality and so gave us a one-star review. So you can help us by going onto your Apple Podcast app, if you have an Apple device, and giving us a five-star review. Um, nice one. On with the show. Jack, a, a, a very satisfying win. There's, um, that, that's the first thing I think we have to say. And uh, an Anthony Martial hat-trick, the first as... This stat has been said many, many times in the wake of this hat-trick, but also over the last few years, the first Premier League hat-trick from a Manchester United player since April 2013 when Ron Van Persie scored uh, those three goals against Aston Villa to, to wrap up the title. So it, it, it's a very nice feeling. And I think most importantly, that the first two goals from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's perspective and from a fan perspective is exactly the kind of goals that we've wanted to see Anthony Martial score. A wonderful feeling being able to watch Anthony Martial not only get a hat-trick that his performance deserved, but as you said, score three goals that, especially the case of the first two, were exactly what we've wanted for him for such a long time and what Solskjaer has spoken so publicly about wanting Martial to do. They were pretty typical poachers' goals. Getting in, especially the first one, his movement for the first goal was very, very good because he's actually the uh, the player who gets on the end of wan throw initially and then manages to kind of ghost into the box and get in a good position for uh, Rashford's mm. kind of snap cross. Second one, again, he's just in, in the right position. Uh, you know, yeah. Wan-Bissaka puts in a great ball and it's really good movement for Martial to be in that right spot. He seems to be learning with Solskjaer's guidance a little bit more about how to play as a central striker and be that kind of focal point for us. Uh, and especially as, you know, Rashford hasn't really got going yet since the restart. It's brilliant to see Martial start to get him back into his stride. Yeah. And I think the the second goal, the yeah, the first goal, as you say, the the movement was really good. And the second goal, it's, I mean, it, it, it kind of comes on the movement as well. But instead it was Martial waiting in the area and he was actually offside for probably the, the four or five seconds yeah. before the goal and then just stayed in the right area and that kind of that kind of patience in the area is is i think quite a hard skill to develop especially i mean there's a lot of great players who haven't had that ability and i i was watching Wayne Rooney's soccer box again i have seen it a few times but I, I always forget little bits Wayne Rooney's soccer box with Gary Neville on on sky and he said 
it took him it took him years and and he said he admitted he, he probably had never learned that skill of of waiting in the box and not going chasing the ball and I think Martial does it has always done it a lot less than Rooney but has been guilty of it and he he definitely is learning that skill and and not being panicked about getting on the ball it, it does take time to learn and and, uh, and 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 was really positive and before we 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 carry on with any kind of um analysis it was just lovely to see how how absolutely delighted he was by scoring three goals. Yeah. He was he was grinning so much, and it it kept cutting back to him on the bench, and he kept just bursting out into a smile, and then kind of looking over, noticing he was on camera, and kind of trying to hide that grin a bit as well, which which was just brilliant. Yeah, so to, to go back to the discussion of uh, Martial's movement, actually, one one of the hardest things for a striker to learn is the ability to stand still, and <laughs> that's not something you normally hear when you know we're talking about elite level sport, but actually. For strikers, I always remember Ruud van Nistelrooy being brilliant at this. If you're in a good area in the box, uh, you know, an area where the ball is likely to come to and the, there isn't a defender getting sort of touch tight to you, sometimes the best thing to do is to stand still and stay in that good area because you can still react to the ball if it goes, you know, sort of a, a few yards either side. But if, if a defender isn't all over you and you're in a little bit of space yeah. in the box, stay there and wait wait for the cross. But you're right. It, I think it's it's been very, very noticeable yeah. to me watching United in these first couple of games since the restart, just how happy the, the players look and how, you know, I think the, the morale in the squad just looks very, very good. And I'm, I'm sure part of that is because all the players are probably just very excited to be able to get going again after, you know, what, three and a half months off, you know, without any football. But I think it was something that was becoming noticeable even before the enforced break as well and in that our team is becoming seems to be becoming anyway a bit more of a cohesive unit and, and a happier place to be we've seen so many players looking disgruntled in the past and you just don't really see that at the moment yeah and I think I was actually going to mention this later but when when Pogba did that uh, brilliant dribble where he nutmegged I can't remember who he oh, nutmegged yeah. but he nutmegged someone took it past a couple of other players and uh, and the commentary was our oh, Pogba will be absolutely furious with that and, and it's, it's, it's not right a bad bit be, of commentary because most players would be yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the camera cuts to him and Pop was just laughing about it. And obviously it helps that I think we were tuning up at that point, if not three. But uh, it was, yeah, it, the, the squad does look happy. And I think that's a, a it, it's very hard to uh, to create a squad like that. And it, it doesn't mean that Solskjaer is a tactical genius. It doesn't mean he's a, a brilliant coach necessarily. He may be, but this doesn't, doesn't uh, give evidence of that. But it does give evidence of another very important skill, which is not just man management of individual players, which obviously is needed to keep them happy, but also squad management. And the players he's, he's got rid of are other players who he thought caused a problem, Romelu Lukaku and Alexis Sanchez being the main two. And... That was criticised a lot, and I think uh, we we said we were concerned by the lack of a replacement. And to be fair, we did have to sign Odi Nagalo in January because of the lack of of a fallback option, the lack of replacement. So it's not to say that it was uh, a decision that you you can't argue with because it, it it was. But what you are seeing is that Marshall and Rashford have both been able to get more minutes, um, and the same is true of Mason Greenwood and all three players if they have not already benefited from that, uh, will have benefited from that. And and we've got uh, w- one question on this kind of subject from Colin, who says, would you sign a backup striker and give Martial more time to develop as our main striker? Or would you sign a proper number nine and use Martial elsewhere? And I think the answer to that is, g- given we're not 
I th- this was an interesting point I was, I was listening to. I was listening to a podcast recorded from a couple of years ago. I think it was with Jonathan Wilson who said the the domination of, of the big teams is, is so great that since United know we are basically going to finish in the top six or seven. Now, do we know that? Maybe not. But because we're at a level where we're not going to fall down so drastically, we can afford to be a bit patient and we're not going to win the league probably next season. Maybe we have a very, very small chance. I don't think we are, and I don't think we are in a position to to be winning the title next year. So maybe you just don't sign a backup, and you sign well, you sign a backup for for Martial as number nine, who who can come in if he gets injured. But you you don't bring in someone to compete with minutes for him because you've got Rashford and Greenwood, and it's another year for them to develop, and then maybe the title challenge starts to come. I don't know if that's a a kind of accepting weakness too much, but. I think it's reasonable. I was actually thinking this yesterday about a lot of the positions in our squad at the moment. It feels like we ha- there, there are a lot of positions, and I'd put centre-back and, and full-backs as, as one of these as well, in that we have players in those positions who are good. You know, you look at Harry Maguire, you look at Victor Lindelof, Luke Shaw, even Aaron Wan-Bissaka to an extent, like Martial, who they are good players, but they're certainly not world-class players. And so you kind of look at it and think, what do you do? in our situation because I wouldn't I don't think you would say any of those people that I just mentioned are necessarily weak spots in our team maybe with the exception of of Luke Shaw but you'd also say that they're not the kind of players that you'd be starting every week in a team that could be doing what Liverpool has been doing this season for example so I actually think we're in a really difficult position with what to do in this transfer window coming up because of exactly that dilemma do we say no Man United are a top team we need to be fighting for titles if players aren't world-class, they need replacing. Or do we say exactly what you just said and think for the long game a little bit more and that we realistically aren't going to win the league next season anyway? As we've seen from the last few months, months, this team is certainly good enough to be getting top four, which wouldn't set back our progress at all. And so is it worth giving everyone another year to prove themselves in a system that seems to be get coming to into shape and, and you know coming to fruition at the moment under Solskjaer? Yeah. It is a difficult dilemma to decide and I think in the case of Martial I'd, I wouldn't be signing a big name number nine striker for a few reasons one because I think you know Martial deserves more of a go because even though he's been at United once yeah. this is his fifth season now sixth season maybe this is really the first extended run that he's had as the number one main yeah. striker and actually he's not done that badly with it I think he's up to 14 league goals now maybe 13 um, so you know could easily end up with a 20 goal season which is no bad yeah. return at all And the second thing is that, as I said, it it isn't a weak point and he's actually done okay so far. And I want to be able to see him develop more around the likes of Pogba, Bruno Fernandes and Rashford. Yeah, and I think you look at other areas of the team as well. Now, I think the one concern with that is if United are going to not write off another year, but it's a really hard thing to do, I think. And the the thing is, you never never write off a year, but it is saying... We're going to be a little patient here. Now, the problem is Nemanja Matic will, will be done by that time, you would think. Uh, and to be fair, the rest of the midfield, Bruno, Pogba and Fred have got plenty of time left, but then they this is kind of their peak. So I think the squad is generally a much better balance than it was before, but in in not you know again not writing off years, but deciding not to to throw away players and and throw money at at a, at a problem when you could wait. I think 
you risk losing the the best period of certain players. That well, being I said, I think, think I don't even think next year. You know, if we did kind of persevere with a lot of this squad and not go, you know, for example, buying a new number nine to replace Marcia, I don't think that's throwing away the year at all. I think it is just playing for the long game. You know, yeah. without meaning to compare us to Liverpool. Yeah. That is exactly the plan that Liverpool did. The, the problem is that United haven't shown the ability to plan for the long term before. And so we've always talked about being patient and this not being a short term yeah. plan. But then the signings that we've made and the managers that we've hired have never you know, have never gone along with that plan. We've signed aging players who only have one or two years left. We've brought in manager, yeah. a manager in Jose Mourinho, who is, you know, known around the world for only being good for a couple of years. The problem is, it's, I don't think it is throwing away a year at all. It's another year of building, but it also depends on a good amount of patience and, you know, executives actually pulling out that strategy when it comes to the transfer window. Too. Yeah, I think I think there's there's two points worth making before we actually go back to the game, which which was very pleasing and, and it's definitely worth talking more about. The first is that um, in order to to have faith enough faith in in United to to have some success with being patient you have to have faith in the manager um, which I, th- I think is an important point and, and if you ask me do I have complete faith that Solskjaer can spend the next two years developing this side into a title winning one to be honest no and m- maybe that's a bit of concern and, and I think Liverpool fans <laughs> with Klopp again drawing the same parallel probably would have said they, they had more faith in him than United fans have in Solskjaer but I do think it, it I think I have enough faith in him in order to, to to play this game rather than going out and spending money when when it's not necessary. The other point yeah. is that the I think the 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 sad uh, the sad truth is that it's a choice between potentially waiting twenty five years for a title by continuing this this idea of, of buying players to to paper over the cracks that again Liverpool did for thirty years. Um, and and relying too much on young players, etc., um, or waiting a couple more years, and I think I think the latter is is obviously nicer. Whether it's that it's not that simple, um, but whether it's that simple or not is it, up to you. Uh, and and the final point is there are, there are some very good players coming through United Academy, and they are worth having spaces open in the team for. Uh, the, the the ones I'm particularly thinking about are Axel Twenzelbill, which will be sooner. Ted and Mengi's a Eighteen-year-old uh, centre back, very, very good. We'll probably spend next year on loan, and then might start to challenge for a first-team spot. It would be very early, but the, Hannibal Medjbury's a great midfielder. Um, James Garner, Dylan Levitt. There, there are some really good players, and I think better than at any time in in the last ten years, probably. Which is another thing worth considering. Right, let's let's go back to the game because, it, as I said, it, it was a very good one, and United looked much more cohesive because of Mason Greenwood on the right wing. I think. Yeah, it was a. I mean, going forward, it was one of the best performances I've seen United have in the last five years or so. It really was that good. Every time we went forward, we looked dangerous. You know, we had. I think the third goal sums this up so perfectly. It really was the stuff of dreams for United fans. Is what exactly what we want. There was so much excitement before the game about having that front five of Pogba, Bruno Fernandez, Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial. And with the exception of Greenwood, all of them were involved in the third mm. goal. We get the ball between the lines, an incisive pass from Pogba into Bruno Fernandez. The, the awareness from him is fantastic to flick it around the corner to Martial. Then yeah. you have a great one-two between him and Rashford and a, a brilliant finish. And that goal summed up a lot, of, a lot of what was good about this performance. Every time we went forward, 
we looked dangerous. There was so much more incision in the passing. We were able to get through the lines. Pogba, I thought, had a very good game without kind of, you know, Mm. setting off the fireworks that he did at Spurs. Thought he quietly went about his business, kept things very simple, but at the same time did everything very efficiently, I guess would probably be the best word to describe it. He wasn't asked to play. Yeah, the the thing with Pogba is often his, his best performance has been when he's tried to do everything. And yeah, that has also been kind of the reason for his worst performances when he's been trying to do everything. And he was, yeah, it, the, the words you use to describe his performance against Sheffield United are not ones you'd normally associate with, with Pogba in that he was patient, he did things simply, as you said, he did things efficiently, and he did them quietly and, and did them very well. And he, he played in that deep role and we said we'd probably play Bruno in that deep role, but he, he did a very good job. And we can't, I, th- I think the caveat to both the points about how good the attack was and Pogba's performance is that Sheffield United really were pretty poor um, and never got into the game uh, made five changes which is, yeah. is apparently the most that Chris Wilder has ever made in the Premier League um, to his starting eleven with Sheffield United so th- there are that caveats but so we can't really comment on Pogba's discipline as such because Sheffield United never really attacked but he was he was patient he played at a, at a good tempo um, and as the game opened up more in the second half he developed into a slightly more attacking role when he knew he could and um, it, it, he made more chances than anyone else on the pitch from a kind of deeper central midfield role more than, than Bruno Rashford Martial Greenwood etc which is which is very impressive it was very impressive you're right about the, the caveat though and I, this is something that I was still probably my one reservation coming out of the game is that you know you go back to the first 15-20 minutes of the game maybe even smaller than that first sort of 10-15 minutes we were actually under some pressure from Sheffield United you know, there were multiple times when they they looked dangerous and ended up not really creating mm. a chance out of it. But defensively, we we didn't look very good. We straight from the kickoff, Sheffield United went uh, down down the other end after we given the ball away on the left flank, and we got in some good positions and probably should have done a bit more with it to be honest. Then even the um, the counter attack for us that led to Rashford missing the open goal after I think Martial should have shot. It was actually, it came from, you know, a great throw from De Gea, but that was a very sustained (laughs) Sheffield United attack at that point too. Um, So defensively, I still have my worries, but yeah, once the, once sort of 15 minutes had gone, I mean, Sheffield United offered almost nothing. And so it is difficult to take things away from the game. But at, at the end of the day, despite the fact that it was a relatively easy day at the office in the end, these are the kind of games that we've struggled in and we did not struggle to break down Sheffield United at all, which is a positive yeah, sign. And I, th- I think that's an important point and is basically because United had five or six threatening players on the pitch in, well, you know who they are. Um, but that, that pop a dribble, uh, we 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 oh, briefly it alluded to it earlier. It was it was brilliant, and and the smile after it was, and and that that was that was great because he did keep things simple all the game, and then when he when the opportunity arose, rather than forcing it, he just took the ball, nutmeg someone, went past a few players, and then just laughed off. It, 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 in in that kind of ten fifteen seconds, the dribble, and then laughing at the fact that Martial had kind of taken his shot off him. It I think it it sums up. Paul Pogba, uh, when he's when he's at his best, he just he, he enjoys playing football and um, and and 
you can tell that in the way he plays. Like the, 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 all all the best footballers to watch are the ones that just really enjoy playing the game and yeah. uh, kind of taking the piss out of their opponent. And Ronaldinho was probably Ronaldinho and Kaká are probably the two best, and it normally is Brazilians. But but yeah. Pogba has that element about him, and and as as everyone will always say, just needs to do it more consistently. But Bruno Fernandes as well, more than anything, just the, the tempo. He keeps it up so well. He keeps things ticking over very well and, and just speeds it up when otherwise United might kind of drop into a lull. Yeah, I think tempo is probably honestly the best word to describe him. I think watching Bruno Fernandes both before the break and in the first couple of games since the restart, he, he isn't the tidiest player, I think you'd have to say. You know, there isn't, there isn't much about his game that looks particularly controlled or elegant, actually, which is a weird yeah, thing yeah. to say for someone who is such a good number 10. But tempo, I think, is the perfect way to describe it because everything he does is extremely high intensity. Yeah. You know, even his his recovery sprints getting back in position, he often goes, you know, immediately chasing after the ball if he loses it. And it, again, these are sort of small things, but it all goes to improving the intensity of the team. And I actually think that is the biggest thing that he's given to us. Obviously, his creativity is brilliant and his, his ability to spot a pass, his vision, his technique is all very, very good. But I mean it when I say I think the biggest thing that he's brought to us is a sense of increasing the intensity of everyone around him because you see someone like Bruno Fernandes, who's you know a big money signing, one of the most famous players on the pitch, going around and absolutely chomping at the bit every every opportunity he gets. He's snapping around everyone's heels, and it kind of gives everyone else a kick up the backside. And he is, even if he's not yeah. the most vocal player, he's leading leading by example in that sense. And then you, you when you combine yeah. that with what, well, as I said, some of his vision and his passing is sublime it creates a very very good player indeed and again it, it wasn't perfect against Sheffield United and I don't think Bruno Fernandes will ever have a perfect performance where he has 100% pass completion no, and everything not. comes off but I think almost every single game you see at least two or three times when some of the it's kind of insane things that he tries will come off and come off to a very very good degree and you saw exactly that with the th- build up to the third goal the little flip to Martial yeah and 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 kind of the opposite was Nemanja Matic at, at the base of midfield who was like Pogba, but even more so, very quietly, very impressive, and just did everything right. And and in fairness, did more than just doing everything right. He he contributed to most of his passes were were forwards. Most of them kind of cut through the opposition. And I think that's when Matic is at his best. I think that's something that he's not given enough credit for. When he's at his worst, he can be very laborious and slow and lethargic. And when he's at his best, he can be quietly very good at, at, at getting those passes in between the lines and, and opening things up for United and he did that again with the caveat of Sheffield United were terrible against uh, against Sheffield United on on whatever day it was Wednesday yeah, night yeah I thought he, he, he played very well and you're definitely right about that part of his game it is one of the best assets that he have is he has his ability to play progressive passing passes that actually get us up the field and I would say of the three uh, of the three players of sort of him, Fred and McTominay, who are currently vying for that role, he actually probably is the, the one that does have the ability and the vision to play those incisive passes forward into Bruno Fernandes, probably more so than Fred and McTominay do, to be honest. Um, the, the problem is that he's quite inconsistent at times and does not always... Uh, how can I phrase this the best way? Doesn't always play up to the level that he uh, that he should be and when that happens, and especially when we need him to actually play a defensive role, it, it's the way that he's not the most mobile that's the issue. But 
I have to say, I thought he played very, very well against Sheffield United. And he does, in these in these games when we don't need him to defend quite as much, I actually think he is a very, very good asset to have. And it was the same against Spurs, to be fair to him, when he came on for a few minutes against Spurs too. He, he did very well in kind of contributing to us going forward as well, even though he was in a very, very deep position. Yeah, we've got one question from Abahi who says, Matic played well, but should McTominay have started? Uh, we're only going to mention it very qu- quickly. Basically, no, the, the 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 team was good. The team played well, and when the team plays well, you, you, you tend not to question the starting eleven that much. And, and it's also because there's so many games. So McTominay will play uh, perhaps the game against Norwich in the FA Cup. Um, one thing we're we're going to talk about the top four race quickly in in a second. But we've got one interesting question that was sent in while we've been recording, which is. When do we pull the plug on Luke Shaw? I don't feel like he's necessarily so terrible, this person says, Ken Tizzle on, on Twitter, but his ceiling seems to be somewhat lower than we'd hoped. And I think that's true. Um, I think if you if you look at the the other side, Aaron Wambasaka is noticeably improving. His assist was very similar to... His assist for Martial's, uh, it must be second goal, was very similar to the one he got for uh, somebody... I think it was Martial again against Chelsea... Uh, before the lockdown, yeah, it was Martial again with a, a header against Chelsea in that in that two one win. Um, Wan-Bissaka is obviously improving, obviously developing. Luke Shaw is kind of the, the difference is Luke Shaw is trying to get back to his twenty fifteen level, which was nineteen year old, twenty year old Luke Shaw, and I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, it, it kind of goes back to to what I was saying earlier about the kind of dilemma that Man United face in the the next sort of two, couple, of, couple of transfer windows because I would put Luke Shaw in that category of is he a major problem in our team? I would argue no. I don't think he does anything massively wrong. I don't watch Man United and think this guy needs to go. He is holding us back. But I also don't think he, he adds very much to our team, if that makes sense. I think he is the perfect player for a team fighting yeah. to the top four. And that is exactly who we are at the moment. We aren't a title-challenging team. Now, if we were a title-challenging team, maybe he would be the weak link and sort of holding us back. Um, and so then it does become a question of at what point do you say that Man United, if we hopefully progress as we hope, will have kind of outstripped Luke Shaw. And I don't really know where that point will come. I'm assuming it will probably be at some point next season if we hopefully progress as we as we hope. I don't think it's time to panic with Luke Shaw. I think if there is a if there's a good left back available for a yeah. good price this summer, I think you know bring them in or add some competition. I don't think that's a problem at all. But I think I don't I I I wouldn't at least at least right now I would say it's not a problem going into next season with Luke Shaw as our starting fullback. If at the end of next season we hopefully have progressed and it looks like the sort of what would that be then 2021 2022 season looks like will be sort of our time to make a full full assault on the Premier League title, then I think you'd have to start looking at Luke Shaw maybe maybe being replaced. Yeah. Um right, the top four race. Uh very quickly. United's remaining games come against Brighton, Bournemouth, Villa, Southampton, Palace, West Ham and Leicester. Only two teams in the current top ten. Palace and, and Leicester on the end of the season could be the, the last day of the season could shape up to be really interesting because if Leicester keep dropping points we play Leicester and Wolves and Chelsea play each other as well so you've got the potential for third fourth fifth and sixth to be kind of playing in a, in a little final day mini league which could be great it probably won't work out like that but basically we've got a very easy run and 
probably possibly the easiest run remaining of the of the teams challenging for the top four Leicester Chelsea and Sheffield United play five of their remaining seven games against top half opponents whereas we only play as I said uh, just now we only play two and Wolves and Spurs have four games against top 10 teams we only have two um so yeah we should be getting top four and the the news about City could change change how the race goes yeah absolutely it looks as though Man City will find out the fate of their Champions League ban for the Court of Arbitration for Sport sometime in the first 10 to 15 days of July. And obviously the season going until the end of July, we'll, we'll know the outcome of that case before United have, have played all of our games. And that will massively change things. I don't think it, it should change the way that we approach our games necessarily. I, you know, there aren't that many games left and we should be going all out to win all of these games anyway. And with the Europa League sort of, I guess, end almost mini league happening after the Premier League has fully finished. It's not like we need to be resting players for the Europa League, but it will at least take the pressure off potentially if Man City's ban does get upheld and the finishing fifth would be good enough. And it adds, you know, a bit more importance into the fact that Chelsea, Wolves, Sheffield United, Spurs, Arsenal all have far more fixtures against the rest of the top half than we do. Um, so I, I don't think it should really change the way we approach games but yeah. it will at least take some pressure off potentially if the ban is upheld yeah and Solskjaer says United going to third which is the, the correct attitude it's, it's, it's almost there for the taking almost but Leicester are quite quite far in front so um, it will be a hard ask but third is, is definitely still just about up for grabs particularly because Leicester came in to the restart in bad form and haven't started particularly well right a uh, quick youth roundup just before we started recording United announced their retained and release list which tells us who has been given a new contract and who hasn't so who stays and who goes in the academy the major names leaving are the following Aidan Barlow Cameron Borthwick-Jackson Alex Fodracek Ethan Hamilton Dean McGee Demi Mitchell Kieran O'Hara Largy Ramazani and George Tanner um some of them, well, the majority of them are all decent players, but just need somewhere else to develop, uh, particularly Barlow, Hamilton, McGee, O'Hara, Mitchell and Tanner Fodgette. All, all of them are, are good players, decent players, but then they're, they're not good enough for United. They need to leave, get a fresh start and, and develop somewhere else where they've got a better chance of, of getting in the first team. Borthwick Jackson has just been at the club for far too long and consistently underperformed on his loan moves. So... Um, I don't think there'll be that much sympathy there. Uh, he, he, yeah. The surprise one is, is largely Ramazani. He's a, a five foot four inch Belgian Burundi winger. Has a lot of talent. Really good and an exciting player. And definitely not someone who I or anyone else expected to see on the release list. But he was offered a new deal. And the other big but is that he asked for a, a fair whack of money, which United were not prepared to give him. And so off he goes. The The club couldn't set a precedent and it looks like he's going to join a team in the Spanish Segunda Division. Um, and in addition, United have announced that they won't release any player uh, aged 18 or under due to the current difficult circumstances. And, that, and, and this is reasonably uh, common for big academies. Not that bit, but the second bit is that they will offer uh, a leaving support package whereby they'll help release players get trials at, at potential new clubs and allow them to use the training ground, the Aeon training complex for fitness purposes until they find a new side. So all, all pretty good news, pretty nice news. Ramazani leaving is, is probably a bit of a blow to United but not a, a, an enormous deal, but definitely a, a piece of surprise news. But if you can't be handing out massive contracts to players at that age because then everyone starts asking for them. Um, right, Norwich City on Saturday, 5.30pm kickoff on BBC Sport in the FA Cup quarter final. I think 
before we talk about how we're going to approach this game, or well, how Manchester United are going to approach this game, I'm personally not playing. I don't know about you, but the the FA Cup coming back. I think we didn't mention that we were meant to speak about this in, in one of our preview episodes and we just ran out of time. Should the FA Cup be being played, first of all? I think yes, purely for sort of ease of scheduling um, and making sure that all of the competitions in the season get finished before yeah. sort of in a, in a reasonable timeline. My, my one reservation about the FA Cup coming back is, you know, taking away that experience of, of going to Wembley for the fans, for the semi-final and the final, more so the final than, than anything else. I mean, I, the problem is I just don't see how it would be feasible to both finish the FA Cup before the start of next season and have fans at any of the games. To be honest with you, I'd be surprised if fans are in stadiums for the start of next season, let alone for a competition finishing, you know, in maybe August so it is tough. I, I think it would be a lot worse if yeah. there were some sort of smaller clubs in in the the latter stages of the FA Cup. You know, if if it was sort of one of those years, remember back in was it like two thousand eight, <laughs> yeah. two thousand nine, something like that, when it was Cardiff v Portsmouth in the final. If it was a day like that, you know, you'd hate to take that experience yeah. away from a club who may not get back there again for fifty years or so. I think, given the fact that if the favourites win anyway, the quarterfinals could yeah. easily be. Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea yeah, and us. I think that's true. I don't think but that's I, quite such a big problem yeah. without meaning to... Do you know, do yeah. you know what I mean? Without yeah, meaning I, to I, say I that fans don't I, deserve my, it. I think my approach to it would be play the FA Cup in, so play the quarterfinals and the semi-finals and then wait to have the final until fans can go to it, basically, which is, I think, what they're doing in Spain with the Copa del Rey. Right. Um, because I think a cup final without fans is... I mean, it's one thing having league games without fans. And yes, Liverpool will win the league without fans, which is very funny. Um, <laughs> but it's it, it just it's different winning a cup without fans. And I, I think the Europa League is, I don't know if it's quite the same because it's, it's travelling. I, I don't know. Maybe it's stupid, but I think cup final just without fans is very, very odd. And, and much more different to playing league. So I, I play the quarterfinals and something. And there's definitely points about well, what if you sell players before next season? What if a team buys players? And no, it it, it wouldn't be completely fair. But then it's also not hugely fair because home advantage has kind of gone out the window or or whatever. So there, yeah, it's a difficult one. But I'd probably play play the final um, next season because there wouldn't be too many scheduling problems with that um, right Norwich in terms of the actual game we don't know if we're getting to the FA Cup final so I should probably stop talking about it but we should be beating Norwich <laughs> they're, they're, they're not a very good team at all um, and, and just one one quick note is, is Carrot Road as a, a hotel overlooking the pitch um, and I know a couple of United fans who had rooms booked in that hotel that overlooked the pitch but have now had those those reservations unsurprisingly cancelled so they won't be watching from the Carrot Road hotel and uh, to be fair I think they're, the rooms that they've had cancelled have being used for key workers so it's, it's it's very justifiable but prediction for the match quickly I mean you're right we absolutely should be beating Norwich they are not not a particularly good team everything I've seen of them since the restart and before the restart points to them going down and, and just yeah not being a particularly good football team at the moment I, I wonder as well if the um, I mean this would definitely would be more of a point if we had more rounds of the FA Cup still to go but if playing behind closed doors will get rid of any element of that sort of magic of the FA Cup. Um, 
that we always seem to get, especially when it's on BBC Sports. So get mm. ready for a lot of that if you're watching on BBC this weekend. Anyway, I'm going off topic. Prediction, <laughs> I would say um, yeah. a comfortable 3-1 victory for United. That'd be very nice. With Odi Nogalo to score. Odi Nogalo to score. That would be that would be even better. Maybe one for Mason Greenwood as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for a 2-0 United win. Um, Brighton, very quickly, is on the Tuesday in the Premier League, 8-15 on Sky Sports, another away game. This could be definitely much trickier. And uh, Brighton's attack, I'm thinking particularly Neil Morpé, um, against Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire, could cause some problems. Um, we're not going to have an episode after the Norwich game, so this is us in in brief previewing the Brighton game. Basically, what do you think will happen in, in, in 30 seconds? What do you think the, well, the score will be? Well, to be fair to Brighton, they've come out of the blocks really, really well at the restart. Well, they're four points from two games, beat Arsenal. Yeah. They've played very, very well. And Neil Mope is a brilliant striker up front. Graham Potter's got him playing some good stuff. I mean, I reckon if, if there were fans in yeah. the stadium, I'd be going for a one-all draw. I reckon without fans, without that pressure from the fans at Brighton at the yeah. Amex, we haven't had a good record since they got promoted. I'll go for a 2-1 United win. Very positive. I, th- I think... We might come unstuck against Brighton. I'm, I'm not going to give a score, but I'm I'm not very confident of United winning just because, well, m- many reasons. Is in that Brighton, I think will cause us problems with with more pay and and the rest of their team and our team. Yeah, we've got a terrible record at Brighton. I've also just seen, which I didn't quite realise actually, they don't actually play again before they play us. We are their next game, so they're going to have had a full week to recover for the game and we would have had three days which actually could make yeah, a big difference that, that, that could make a difference yeah I think we've got enough depth I think the, the the five subs should help us a bit because of that strength in depth off the bench um, is the one fact yeah oh we didn't even mention that the the, quin, the quintuple substitution yeah. that sort of Solskjaer became the first manager in yeah, history quin- to bring on five players yeah one quintuple go. substitution and, and the other thing very quickly I'll mention before we wrap up is um the water breaks had a massive effect again. Yeah. They are they are changing football, and uh, I said last time it, it concerns me that they're going to stay. But again, they I and yeah they they had a bad effect for United um, on both occasions as they did against Spurs. And this is not is not a conspiracy against Manchester United, but they are they are changing how football is played. I think, and that is yeah that's definitely something to keep an eye on and think about um, but that is all we have time for on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast thank you as always for listening um, for more from us throughout the week you can find Jack on Twitter at, at UTD Tates T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there as I said at the very start if you want to help us out leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called these days and share it with your mates on, on Twitter or whatever um, thanks as always for listening have a great week enjoy the sunshine if you're in um, the United Kingdom enjoy two United games it is nice to have football back even if it's weird even if we can't go to the games um, I had my ticket out for the Sheffield United game in the garden of of, of, <laughs> of my of my house watching on Sky Sports with my unused ticket the mic um, I mean it's a historical artefact now but anyway enjoy the games have a great week goodbye Network.